Hey everybody, welcome to Off the Beaten Clef. We are in week four of Instrumental April, Instrumental April, and we're doing a special one this week. It is Gustav Holst's The Planets. So let's get into it. guys we're here and we're here i say guys plural this week because we have a very special guest with us alex sullivan is here hello and uh, you know if you've listened to uh queen city podcast you might be familiar with uh alec he's been on the show a couple of times at least right uh i was i was on once but back when it was no nonsense oh, yeah. i was the fun fact guy so uh that's if you know the name if you know the voice uh that's some true trivia right yeah. there. Yeah. That's a deep cut. People have really been clamoring for the uh, interesting fact guy. Like, oh, who was that guy? I really, really liked his, his facts. You I know, the bow tie guy. <laughs> the bow tie guy. <laughs> if they know that I wear a bow tie and provided fun facts, I want them out of my life. Yeah. <laughs> How do you know me? Um, but yeah, no. So we brought Alec on. Um, I picked this piece of music. I know Alec loves this piece of music. We've Absolutely talked about worried. it before just in our personal lives. Um, so he's literally, as soon as I picked it is the first person I texted. I was like, Hey, you want to come talk about the planets? And so, yeah, here he is. And as always, Dylan's here too. So yeah, we're happy to have you on Alec. I appreciate it. I love this piece of music and I'm more than happy to share my random opinions about it. Yeah. We're going to need some cause I do not feel equipped to talk about this kind <laughs> of music. I think you probably can hold your own better than you probably think you can. I talk about how it makes me feel more than the actual like instrumentation. That's all you so need. congratulations, yeah. you're talking about classical music. Yeah. <laughs> That's all you need, dude. I mean, I, I I am aware of musical theory, but I don't know how any of it works. So you are you and I are on the same level as far as like that goes. So I think you'll be fine. So, yeah. yeah, that's kind of been the whole point of instrumental April anyway. And uh, quick shout out to uh, Ben Rosett. We're gonna redeem ourselves and say uh, or Rosette. For- Rosette, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's not Rosset. That's all yeah. we know. <laughs> which we said like a thousand <laughs> yeah. times last week. Uh, he listened and uh, shouted us out on his Instagram, which was really cool. Yeah, super cool. A super cool dude. We had a, I had a quick conversation with him on the Offbeaten Clef uh, Instagram. Seems like a super cool cool dude. And uh, yeah, it was awesome to have that kind of interaction with an artist that we talked to yeah. about. So yeah, so let's get into it. Uh, get into opening thoughts. Uh, my first is, do Holst fans call themselves Holsters? If they don't, they should. They should. That was literally the next thing I wrote. So we are honorary holsters today. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> it's on a T. So, so yeah, it's on a T. <laughs> I don't know if uh, classical musicians outside of like Beethoven and Mozart and like the big guys have like fan boys or girls, but uh, I'm, I am now a holster. We're now so holsters. I mean, I'd love a holster T. A holster T. Yeah. Like a band merch. Oh, I wanted oh. to have like a merch table. I, I went through so many different things before I got the t-shirt. I was, at first, I was like a golf tee. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. I want a golf tee specifically that says Gustav Holt. But then I went to like the drink tee. And I was like, is that a kind of tee I'm not? Is that a <laughs> joke? Is that a pun I'm not getting? I don't, yeah. So yeah, no, I would like a holster t-shirt as well. Uh, but yeah, so um, I am familiar with this piece of music, but I haven't listened to it a ton. Uh, I, I know... 
I became much more aware of it like five to six years ago when I started getting back into classical music. And I heard a lot of people accusing John Williams of plagiarism. Accusing? Accusing. (laughs) Um, I am of the opinion that there is a big difference between inspiration and plagiarism. This skirts the line pretty close. <laughs> we no, we are using the line as a jump rope. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I like I like I want to give them the credit, uh, you know, the benefit of the doubt, but uh, I know a lot of people would not agree with me. Uh, so I, I just I think John Williams has enough work that kind of stands on its own. Where I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but you know, Hans Zimmer also got sued. Did he for Mars? He kind of plagiarized it for Gladiator. Everybody rips off Mars, apparently, because it's a very powerful song, or piece, excuse me. We're talking about classical. You can't call it a song or a track. It's a piece. Uh, but yeah, no, so that's that's the big thing that really got me into this this piece, and I, I've loved it ever since. It's just so, so different from a lot of the classical I'd listened to before, because it is more contemporary. I'd focused more on like the Baroque period and stuff in the Romantic period. Mm. I know you love Baroque, Alec. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's something that I I hadn't really listened to like contemporary or like within the last hundred years, guys before. So it was a pleasant surprise to me. Um, but yeah, no. Aside from all that, Planets fucking rocks. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, we'll throw it to. Uh, you, Alec, what are your, what are your opening thoughts on this uh, piece of music? Uh, the first thing I wrote was, William stole so much from this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, Ma- the Imperial March is just the beginning of Mars. It sure is. Yeah. It absolutely is. And then the main theme of Star Wars we can hear uh, later on. Uh, I believe that it comes up in um, Jupiter. Jupiter. Yeah. yeah, Jupiter is where that comes in. Um, but uh, Holst is the absolute master of evoking imagery and a a feeling with no vocals whatsoever. You know exactly what you're supposed to be feeling. You know exactly what you're supposed to be seeing uh, with only the title and then um, the the piece itself. So if it's supposed to feel jaunty, it feels jaunty. Mm -hmm. If it's supposed to feel large, it feels enormous. If it's supposed to feel uh, powerful, it feels powerful. Uh, He does an amazing job with that. and it hits in every piece. He he doesn't take a break on it. Yeah. So that those are my two big uh, takeaways from the entire thing. Yeah, I I honestly felt like this felt more like a soundtrack than yes. what I was expecting. With like you said, classical music. I'm like, oh great, awesome. I'm not gonna have much to go on. <laughs> but this feels like a big soundtrack, like almost like you're going on a huge adventure yeah. and uh, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, it makes sense why a lot of people have, you know, been accused or straight up plagiarized to this work because it is very much for soundtracks. Yes, uh, it, you know, he's there's a big difference between like movie um, soundtracks and actual like real classical. There's a lot there's a there's a difference there. There's a different like uh, writing technique for them, but you know, there's a lot here that could be easily transposed into a lot of film and you you've seen it before. I mean, Mercury. I feel like that's every single rascal. Mm-hmm. You know, every single ch- t- kid that was a, a rascal in the 80s or 90s that was in that movie somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, let's let's uh, well let's give a little background first. Uh, you know, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. You were especially when listening to classical. It's good to have some background on the person writing it. And uh, Alec, I'll let you talk about this about what was going on in Holst's life during this time. 
so the planets was composed uh, from 1914 to 1916, and Gustav Holtz uh, was living in Great Britain. Uh, Great Britain is one of the major combatants in World War One. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was living in Great Britain, uh, during World War One. Uh, I don't believe he got pulled in or, uh, enlisted in any way. I, he, I think he tried to enlist, but was told he couldn't, but I think his wife became like an ambulance driver or some shit like that. Um, I, I just remember reading that he, he was not enlisted and felt shitty about it. Uh, I mean, it, it's World War One. Everybody would. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so World War One uh, is a, a good little backdrop to put on this, especially when our opening piece is Mars, uh, the bringer <laughs> the, of war. The bringer of war. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, it gives, uh, you know, like I said a couple weeks ago, just knowing those little facts can color the pieces much more vividly mm-hmm. if not completely differently than what you were your first listen through so uh let's hop right into it uh we'll open with the mars i'll uh, let's let the guest go first oh cool uh this is the one that i have the most to say about <laughs> Sweet. Uh, because of the world war one bit so mars is the it's the embodiment of what war looks like on screen mm-hmm. like it, it is large it is regal it's powerful um, but it also has uh, breaks in it where it's a little bit gentle. It goes a little bit slower. Um, so that opening fanfare uh, wh- creates a whole lot of unresolved tension, and that fanfare and unresolved tension happens multiple times, and you can expect uh, a lot of fanfare and tension that comes from war. Um, so with, with that, um, I'm going to go into history teacher mode real quick. Uh, World War One is considered a major turning point in how wars were fought. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with World War One, there was so much slaughter and destruction that it changed the idea of war being a noble thing that everybody should strive for. It's this big, beautiful battle that you're going to go and you're going to fight for your country. And you're going to be a real man's man. And you now see that people are coming back with uh, shell shock mm-hmm. and people are getting slaughtered for no good apparent reason. We have mustard gas and it's just an enormous amount of death. So we can see that represented in Mars, whether it's intentionally or not, with those uh, large fanfares. That is a callback to that uh, majesty of war that we have pre-World War One. That tension and discomfort that we see is during World War One, yeah. and then those awkward points uh, at the end. Um, could also be a, a callback to, you know, maybe this isn't what we thought it was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's in five four. I, I looked up all of the time signatures. It's an interesting uh, timing signature. Yeah, it, it's five four is close enough to our common time, which is four four, which is what everybody expects it to be. Like mm-hmm. uh, when you see people clapping or snapping, it's always in four four. Um, so when we see five four, we're like, I'm snapping at the right points. But I'm just a little bit off, and I don't really <laughs> like it. So uh, I think we're going to equate that back to the idea of war again. It makes us just – it's close to common, but makes us just a little bit uncomfortable. Sure. That's interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's some that's some uh, next-level shit we don't normally get here. I yeah. love the historical context to it, especially, you know, like I said, you know, knowing that context, especially for classical, gives you just a little bit different of a picture that's been being painted. So uh, – Dill, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, yeah, it starts slow and it builds at, at 120, and it feels like almost like a Star Wars scene. That's how it like, <laughs> yeah. almost... I know you guys have talked about how Mars was uh, loosely used in Star Wars. But, or straight up ripped off, depending or on who straight you talk up to. Off. Yeah. <laughs> loosely it, is an odd choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, it just feels like 
you should see like starships chasing each other mm-hmm. through the galaxy and stuff like that. Um, there's a big explosion at minute three that makes you think the song is fading out, which is really cool. Yeah, that um, mass, those massive amounts of horns that just fucking crash down on top of you. Yeah, dude. It just slowly creeps back in for the back half of the song, and I thought that was a really cool way to make you think like, oh, well, that was quick, and then it's like slowly coming back just just for more, and it gets a lot darker on in the second half of the song. Yeah. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with all of those things. Um, I, I also wrote, you know, I don't think it's an insult to Hulse to say that John Williams' score sounds like this because this is so much more complex than the Imperial March in a lot of different ways and a lot of the ways that you just talked about, Alec. Um, you know, at 110, when the orchestra really jumps in and, and in full, like you were just talking about, it really kind of sends this into, like, full-on battle mode. Uh and around that, you know, that two thirty mark, it switches to very. It's it's a mix of um, it's uh, like a minor key, but it, there's also some triumphant hits in there as well. So again, it's kind of like this the fog of war almost. You could be sad and victorious at the same time. Yeah, yeah, like are we winning? Are we the good guys? Are we the bad guys? It kind of feels that way, kind of throughout the whole the whole piece, and it, it kind of ebbs and flows, kind of like a, it's almost like a day long battle. This entire piece, and you know, kind of you know, get, get quieter tempo or quieter um, sounds slower tempos or maybe it's probably the same tempo but mm. it's just quieter um but you know i wrote as well the, the tension never releases at any point Mm-mm. you know you get some calmer moments but that tension is always it's so tightly wound this this piece and uh you know it comes back in a major way uh for the last 30 of seconds uh, or so you get that perfect it's a perfect example of that vacuum of silence I, I talk about all the time those big big full orchestra hits they're just kind of punctuated every second or so and silence in between and it kind of it's like okay you can see this so vividly again the kind of movie-esque where somebody's you know you can see the silhouette of somebody being stabbed in the back multiple times in time with the orchestra and then fade to black the, the battle is over you know who won who fucking cares you know what i mean it doesn't matter and to your point alec um about world war one media it's some of my favorite art that's ever existed uh, like musicians and poets especially for me mm-hmm. uh, dolce et decorum est is one of my favorite things ever created um and it speaks to the last line of that poem is dolce et decorum est pro patria mori uh which is you know the old lie of patriotism kind of thing it's mm-hmm. like yeah we what the fuck did we die for patriotism is dead it's it's really really interesting to see the way these young men kind of flipped on what they were taught all those times in just a few short years. Uh, so yeah, if you have never read, uh, Dolce et Decorum Est, I highly recommend it. It's a great, great poem and really kind of sums up how these young men felt coming back from war. Um, so yeah, let's move on to Venus and then do you want to go clockwise or counterclockwise? Dill, which one do you want? You want Mercury or Venus? I'll go Venus. All right, go ahead. Start us off. Venus, the bringer of peace. Bringer of peace. After the big ending to Mars, the song feels like we're walking through a meadow. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this were a movie, it's like painting through in like the second movie where you're seeing where all your characters ended up after the first movie where everything was chaotic and you don't know where everything ends up. And it's like peaceful, but like weirdly peaceful. Um, and parts of it sound like another Star Wars reference, like Luke Skywalker when he's like walking to that double sunset. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's the, that's the main theme of Star Wars that I was talking about. Really? Yeah. yeah. Then that's where he got it. Yeah. It, <laughs> it definitely feels like that when he, like, he's like mourning the loss of his aunt and his uncle yeah. and like he's looking over that sunset. There's a lot of uh, similarities there. 
and the last minute of this song feels like it's going to build up to something and it just like takes all the momentum and just cuts it out and uh it writes the rest of the song out like very peacefully and i was like "Ooh, he tricky tricky minx you almost got me <laughs> old goofy gustav got you again <laughs> gustav got me again <laughs> so yeah i thought this Fuck was a- that holster tee i want goofy <laughs> gustav <laughs> It's just a picture of his face with like some fucking goofy sunglasses on. <laughs> it's swirl sunglasses. It's all that I need in my life now. We need Gustav music to uh, the Goofy movie. You know what I'm oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, the last song or whatever? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> put, just put Mars over top of that yeah. and watch him dance. We, we need someone to make that. Oh, Terribly. Just, I'm not it. good enough to I'll do, do it. it fucking tonight, bud. Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is like a good change of pace because the last song was so <clears throat> big and, and uh, gregarious, and this just feels like like a, a leveling out almost. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's the proverbial calm after the storm, right? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I had some phlegm in my throat. I apologize. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you got to get that out. We're doing a radio show here. We want to <laughs> keep equality. Uh, uh, that said, this it's almost it feels like the stupor after a bloodlust, right? Or you know, to keep it low brow for us, it's like after busting a huge nut. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to get there. <laughs> you know, you you look around like, oh fuck, uh, where the fuck am I? At? You know that that regularly used phrase they call them after the nut. <laughs> <laughs> clarity <laughs> it's, it's just <laughs> the clarity um yeah so that you know again i was trying you know how many people have had the stupor after a bloodlust you know gotta mm-hmm. you gotta keep it gotta keep it down to earth for the fans can relate. that's right <laughs> i hope none of you have been in a bloodlust before um let's just say it that way um but yeah that's for like the first two minutes it's almost like where the fuck am i what happened what just what did i just come out of but it's peaceful right there's no more chaos it's just kind of stumbling through this fog um it, it seems to it seems to linger on that realization that there's a new piece um and it finally starts to sink in that you know was all that bloodshed worth it you know after that two minute mark it's, it's almost like there are sad notes mixed in with this kind of triumphant notes of happiness uh, almost like a soldier trying to justify his actions like he's starting to realize like i just killed a fuck ton of people but you know is was it for the greater good who knows uh and then it, there's like there's a very interesting psychology in this piece that you know if you're not really listening intently you might just be like ah oh, this is a cool like n- nice piece, um, but you if you really start to hear the kind of beefy thread of melancholy that runs through this what should be a peaceful track it, it becomes you know a kind of a uh, an introspective on the duality of man especially in the duality of man in war um, you know and I, I think a lot of that stems from it you know being written in World War One so mm-hmm. uh, I'll pass it over to you Alec and uh, see what you got for Venus uh, the first thing that I wrote is less is more because this is just so yeah. minimal compared to the last yeah. there he essentially strips the entire orchestra um, there's no percussion there's very little brass and yep. the majority of it and he um, loves his brass dude oh yeah <laughs> yeah um, so it's a direct contrast to the previous piece, like you guys have said. Um, it, it's in four four, uh, mm-hmm. so it's a re, uh, it's a return to that sense of uh, comfort, that sense of safety, at least in the time signature. It's yeah. what we expect. It's what we find peaceful. We like four four. Yeah, if you listen to pop music, it's four four all over the place. Yeah. Um, so with uh, with this. He was trying, I read a little bit on this, he was trying to create a sense of the hero's journey, like the classic hero's journey. Gotcha. Um, 
so Iliad Odyssey kind of stuff. Sure. So there's going to be some sort of conflict at the beginning, and then after uh, the conflict, there's the call to adventure. This is supposed to be the call to adventure. So there's supposed to be uh, like the acceptance of the conflict, and at this point, we have no other option but to go forward. So there, throughout the entire piece, it starts out very, very minimal, but it and it stays pretty minimal, but it builds the entire time. There's uh, there's forward motion throughout yeah. the entire thing. Yeah. So Dylan's kind of headcanon of Luke on the on the hill is is exactly what that moment is in the film. That's the call to action in, mm-hmm. in those films. You know, Luke had the tragedy. Now he's like, I'm going to go fucking fight the Empire. Now I'm going to use a sword made out of light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Venus, again, like I said, at the very top of this, uh, Holst is a, a master of creating imagery, and uh, he, he knocks it out of the park with Venus. I, I love the song, or piece. <laughs> you me. can call it a song. <laughs> we don't have to be so pompous about it. I think that's that's such a gatekeepy thing to, for about classical music. Kevin, I'm wearing a bow tie. That's fair. It's totally fair. <laughs> guy with the bow tie. <laughs> Cannot be the one, the first one to call it a song. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, whatever. I'm sure I did. I've done it already. That's no, okay. Uh, it will just make fun of you for the rest of your life. Huh? Um, <laughs> What's different? <laughs> um, so yeah, next is Mercury, the winged messenger. And if you haven't caught on to the theme yet, these are Roman gods as well. There's a parallel here, and that's kind of the way I approached listening to these songs is listening to them as the Roman gods. And, you know, if you're not familiar with Roman gods, they're just the Greek gods, gods just with the names of the eventual planets. Um, pretty much the same thing. I mean, there's some differences I'm sure that I'm not aware of, but... Uh, I mean, a little bit of iconography, but yeah. not much. Largely the same. Anyway, um, so, yeah, so the me- the winged messenger, uh, you know, and I, like I said earlier, this is... I feel like I've heard... The, I don't know if this it's this exact piece, but I've heard this in every single... Like Dennis the Menace, Home Alone. This, this has big Home Alone energy, um, but any sort of mischievous child movie, this is in this something like this is in that movie, and you know you get that because um, Mercury in the mythology was you know, it was a classic trickster. I mean his his first thing is he tricked I, I forget which god it was like he tricked him into like stealing his cows or some shit like that. I don't remember, but it was he's tricked some god in a very clever way, and that's kind of what he was known for. Um, but yeah, you know, he kind of whole nailed the tone of this piece if that's what he was going for. Uh, you know, little did he know it would be perfect for um, rascals in movies for the next hundred years, and uh, you know, good for him. You know, the, the, it's 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 light and it's the first almost totally happy piece. <laughs> there's no sort of melancholy here, but it still has that classic Holst weight to it. There's there's never you never really get away from that weightiness here. And I think that's why I like Holst so much. It's why I watch I like Wagner so much too. There's just just it's so goddamn heavy. And it's 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 I like heaviness and I like weight to my music. He's not subtle with what he's trying to do. No, yeah, no, he he's he doesn't use a uh, butter knife. He takes out the fucking cle- meat cleaver and, s- and chops your arm off. So, yeah, uh, Alec, what you got on Mercury? Um, again, a clear mental image. Blah blah blah. Same thing I've said a billion times. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> with uh, Mercury being the winged messenger. Uh, the speed and uh, articulation of this shows clear forward movement and mm-hmm. urgency throughout the entire thing. It's also in 6-8. Six 6-8, eight. uh, six uh, you count it actually in two a lot of the times, and uh, it's uh, a triplet two. Um, 
if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm sorry, but uh, it, it's fast. <laughs> well, it, Migos, Migos, Migos yeah. rhyme and triplets. Yeah. So yeah. if you want to, if you want to make modern reference for that, then it's, I don't know if they do six, eight, but they, they rap in triplets. That's yeah. their style. So, uh, it, we've got six, eight, it moves quickly. <laughs> uh, you can count it in two. Um, it's, uh, it avoids a lot of aggressive percussion, just like Venus mm-hmm. did, uh, contrary to Mars. Um, but the thing that stuck out the most to me, and I think I got this on my second or third uh, listen through, uh, he musically embodies the idea of the message because starting at one minute, seven seconds, the music has a theme that starts in the violin, and then that same theme is traded to the oboe, and then it's traded to the flute, and then it's traded to the harpsichord, and then it's traded to the clarinet, and then it's traded to in- entire sections. So that message is being passed, and then it proliferates. Uh, so when he says the messenger, that message is being passed from section to section. Fucking to section. goofy Gustav, man. man. Yeah. Uh, it, it's awesome. It's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, great. I love shit like that, man. Yeah. Um, it, after that message is, uh, passed around, spreads and grows, it then takes off again at light speed. Um, and then it's at the very, very end, uh, kind of slows down and then uh eventually lands uh meaning that the the message has been since delivered and then uh everything is returned yeah that's interesting i'm I'm just kind of going through it in my head and i can hear the theme being passed from each different that's really cool i didn't you know i can't i can't wait to listen to this again with that kind of context in it because you know and i can hear it kind of the landing too that's very kind of back and forth feather like motion so i love it yeah uh, what do you got, Dill? Nothing as interesting as that. <laughs> I, but I, I don't have a whole lot uh, that you guys haven't already touched on, but it, I felt like I was with Sam Wise and Frodo. Oh. All going on in it. Yeah, dude. Absolutely. Uh, that's, as soon as I heard it, like I had just watched Lord of the Rings for the first time, so that was like fresh in my mind. Whoa, really? Yeah. What'd you think? I like it. I like the second one the best. Two, oh, uh, two yeah, towers. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. Helm's Deep. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Mm-hmm. Let's go. Um, so yeah, that that was like fresh in my mind, and I've... I love Samwise. Go figure. And uh, yeah, so that that's I was instantly there. It makes me want to rewatch the movies. So yeah, that's all I got. Watch the extended cuts. Whew. They're yeah. long, but they're worth it. Yeah, <laughs> especially in uh, Return of the King, they're way worth it. So, um, but yeah, uh, awesome. I think I just went start with Mercury. So you're on Jupiter, which is my favorite track. I'll just get that out of the uh, way. Mercury was my favorite track. Yeah. I I love Mercury. Peace. It's a um, peace. <laughs> we're all we're all so we're fucking plebs here i'm just gonna say the word peace and dill can you just edit every time i say yeah. a song yeah, track peace. Peace. <laughs> can i tell you a quick anecdote real quick sure uh what do they call people that are really into anime weebs i call myself a weebly oh. on purpose oh and it drives my girlfriend's sisters crazy <laughs> like i watched i watched uh an anime I'm a Weebly. Yeah, it's like people that say Chipotle on, on purpose. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it. it drives them absolutely so it's crazy. It's a classic, classic gaff, yeah. classic goof. So got a little gooster gaffster over here. <laughs> so I'd like to think Gustav was in on the joke when he hears a oh, song. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or a sonnet. We'll call it a sonnet for the rest of the. We'll just call it a sonnet. <laughs> sure. <laughs> or a poem. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of is. <laughs> Okay, anyway, yes. Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter. Jupiter. Uh, Jupiter had uh, my favorite note that I made. Uh, back in Venus, I said less is more, uh, but Jupiter, I said if less is more, think how much more more could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Jupiter from the top down is just it is enormous. It has yeah. huge weight the entire time. 
it is built to achieve the fullest sound possible, and it, it knocks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the ways that he does this is so many French horns. It is literally yeah. six French horns. <laughs> it's amazing. It's, I love it. It's great. Uh, so, uh, he has a return, a major, uh, return to brass, uh, which is, uh, my understanding would be probably a return to the idea of like heralding, mm-hmm. uh, which is, has that huge Royal feel to it. Um, we have cellos in, uh, and the slower, uh, portion of this. So when it, when we slow down, we make it into three, four, uh, three, four is our typical, like, uh, waltz, uh, time signature uh it gives us a feeling of like being loved or being embraced or uh things like that so that's when the cellos come in and he actually wrote this uh he intended it to have um a hymn written over it so he was going to have that um turn into some sort of church song um and it's why he picked cellos because cellos mimic the human voice and Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be warm and embracing and comforting um it's incorporated into at least two national anthems. Uh, it is just the biggest that you can get. It's supposed to be bombastic. It's supposed to be uh, just larger than life, and he knocks it out of the park. I, I think Jupiter's awesome. Yeah. Even for a nine-minute piece. Yeah, it's, it's, it, I mean, you want to call it long, but like by classical standards, like I talked about the, the, um, the violin concerto I wanted to do, and the first movement is 19 minutes long. So, by <laughs> classical standards, oh yeah, no, a, this, this, is this is a this is a pop punk song. Yeah, it, it, it flies through. <laughs> yeah, it definitely doesn't feel long. Like when we were in new metal, and there were some seven minute songs. Yeah, and we right. Were like, oh my god. Yeah, it doesn't feel like that. Feel so long. <laughs> yeah, I think the, I think the shortest piece is like six or seven. Yeah, minutes. I think it's like five or six minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this the song is so full and gregarious. I I know I've already used that That's word, right. but I've used it a couple times. It's a good one. I was feeling it when I was writing, I guess. Um, but you know, this sonnet is one of my faves. <laughs> uh, it's also one of my girlfriend's faves. Uh, she made she wanted me to mention that uh, this is by by far her favorite. Yeah. She oh, she yeah. loves to run to this song. Yeah, which is. You know, she loves listening to classical music. I ran does. to Mars, and I was like, <laughs> fuck yeah, I can do it 20 more miles. This is- you mean you marched to Mars? No, <laughs> not. Nope, not in the least. <laughs> Just trying to run away from that impending doom. No, I was running towards it, man. Yeah, fair I- enough. <laughs> but the last two minutes of the song is pure chaos. Yeah. Um, and if you know anything about me, I love songs with chaos, which I think I've mentioned like every week since we started doing this. But yeah, Jupiter is... Uh, Definitely the bringer of jollity. Yeah, what a cool word jollity is, right? Yeah. I didn't even know it was a word, but this that's what this song makes me feel. This is going to be a reference for, I think, you and only you. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, it made me think of Pelor, the great big Santa Claus in the oh, sky. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it, Pelor embodies jollity, for sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, for those of you that don't know, listen, go listen to Nadpod. It's a great uh, D&D podcast, and Pelor is a giant surfing Santa Claus. It, he's a great big buff Santa Claus <laughs> in the sky. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I 100% uh, Pelor here. Um, but yeah, man, if you were falling asleep, you're fucking awake, right? It's just from second one, it's just this super quick like intro to build up into... Like you said, those French horns are everywhere. There's, and there's six of them. They're so goddamn loud, but it's awesome um, because when they start, um, 
resonating with each other. It's just, you can't ignore it. It's just, Oh, somebody's fucking here. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it, my brother texted me this too. He's and I very much agree. This is every opening scene in any final fantasy game ever where the new emperor who is eventually going to be the bad guy is marching through town. And that's, that's that kind of fanfare. And it makes sense. Jupiter, the king of the gods, you know, it's, it's the king of the planets as well, the biggest planet. So it makes sense that this would be loud and brash and huge. It's enormous how big this song is. Uh, this, this sonnet is, excuse me. Um, sonnet. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's really, it, the 140 mark it builds into a, like a jovial announcement of somebody here which i think doesn't jovial have its roots in jupiter as well mm-hmm. yeah so uh, you know that it's it's interesting that I, I kind of came to that term uh so you know it's got all kind of it's very intentional here so it's after a quick interlude at the three minute mark that changes the tone to almost sickeningly sweet um, and it starkly contrasts the kind of staccato entrance that we had. Uh, and it feels like something you would hear during the Olympics almost, like a great triumph. It's kind of swaying, and but also very big, almost like a fanfare for the common man. Mm-hmm. It's very much that kind of pomp and circumstance. And it's, you know, it's, there's just so, so many horns here. And I love it. I love, I'm not a huge fan of the French horn in general. There's not a huge repertoire for the French horn, but man, oh man, does he get the most out of it on this piece. Uh, French horns are a sleeper instrument because they're not done awesome all the time, but when they are... I feel like they're incredibly hard to play well as mm-hmm. well. I don't know anything about it, but I, I from what I've heard, um, just from watching classical music channels, I know they're very hard to play like in tune very mm-hmm. well. It, it's really, really, really tough to keep them in tune mm-hmm. playing with other instruments right uh if you play one french horn french horn by itself it sounds awesome once you get two into the mix uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a massive wall of sound yeah uh but you yeah, know it's it, you know that 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 part of this piece is it's so earnest it's almost so earnest it makes me cry you know what i mean the, every time that first olympics channel or that first first olympics like commercial comes on and it's like people screaming in triumph about just a mess of tears. And so that reminds me of that feeling and you, because it is so earnest, right? It's the, the pure joy. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would, I, you know, I just wrote at the end, like I would kill to see this live and just have my face blasted off. It, it, this is, if I could see one piece, uh, from this entire piece, it would be this it, because it's just so, I can't imagine being like front and center in the pit for this. And just having your bones rattled to pieces. It would just be so fun. So, yeah, Jupiter, the bringer of jollity. My new favorite word. Jollity. Do you think we could mosh to Jupiter? <laughs> I think you can mosh to anything that you put your mind I'd, to. I'd yeah. more mosh to Mars than Jupiter. You think so? Uh, I think I would mosh to Mercury. I mean. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. You can mosh to anything. Yeah, you can fucking yeah, mosh I mean, to anything. Yeah. You can put your mind to it. Mercury seems like a like a silent disco. Like everyone's got their own headphones. <laughs> yeah. <on>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everybody's just kind of <laughs> slowly bumping into each other yeah. as they don't really know where they are in space and time. Um, so yeah, I think uh, you did. You started Jupiter, right, Alec? Yes. Okay. On to Saturn. We go for Dylan. Saturn, the bringer of old. The song has a much slower pace. Old age. Old age. Of old age. You didn't let Spotify scroll long enough. Daggummit. <laughs> The song has like a much slower, this sonnet has a much slower pace, <laughs> but the transition is smooth, uh, much like the, the transition from Mars to Venus. Mm-hmm. So it's like not a drastic thing. It's something you feel like you needed after, after the last sonnet. 
Um, <laughs> this is just, I'm not even going to acknowledge it anymore. Okay, good. Uh, it feels like a, a slow trek along and has some dark moments, almost as if you're moving in slow motion following the death of a loved one. Mm-hmm. Like Just like your whole life's in a fog. Um, the last few minutes almost feel like dream, dreamlike. It's like you're uh, thinking of the afterlife or something like that. So uh, it was kind of just a weird, dreamy kind of song for me, or sonnet for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I almost no. slipped up. No, it's song. okay, man. You got to keep your joke going as long as you can <laughs> to beat it till it's dead, man. <laughs> uh, so yeah, man, it's uh, this is such a downer from the last one. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's holy shit. This is so much more depressing though. Um, and in the context of a hero's journey, um, this makes a little bit more sense too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you know when I was listening to it, I didn't have that context. So for me, it was just an old man going through the stages of realizing. I'm fucking old. Uh, so, you know, I've talked about the threat of melancholy through the entire body of this work, um, but it really kind of brings it home here and kind of just plops it squarely on your shoulders. The weight here is like, it's the, I've never become an old man, but I really feel like this is, <laughs> this is piece really kind of encapsulates what that's like. Um, it's, it's, <sighs> I don't know how to really kind of encapsulate it, but I know around the, like the two, uh, two forty five mark, uh, the tone brightens much more. And it's almost as like this guy is like, no, I mean, you know, these are my twilight years. I'm going to enjoy them. Why should I be sad and melancholy about getting old? It's just a part of life. And you know, the, the, it becomes so much more colorful here and it's only, it's almost trying, it's not trying to want to say triumphant, but it's like, it's an acceptance of old age doesn't have to be a negative thing. And like I said, it becomes so much, it's, it's, you can see how much brighter it becomes almost. And it's, it's beautifully written. I really, really do. I enjoy this piece. These two pieces together are gorgeous together and they're a dichotomy. And, uh, it, it, it shifts again around the 420 mark and becomes very, very, very heavy. You know, it's like an impending doom. Uh, until almost the very last minute where it's like the, it's the man accepting that he's dying and he's happy with his life. And it's kind of, he's had this reflection. It's like, I lived a good life. And that's kind of the, the, the whole journey I got from this song is it's, it's the, the stages of almost acceptance of death. So, um, so the first thing that I noticed, uh, immediately there are alternating tones at the beginning of yeah. this and those alternating tones immediately bring like, a. a grandfather clock wait like that tick tock back and forth yeah uh so it does that for a long time and that brings to me the the image of some sort of like a swaying pendulum ticking clock something like that uh we're back to four four really really steady it's super consistent throughout the entire time kind of like the consistent march of time uh it's going to be moving forward same uh same no matter what uh there is not a single bright note in this thing. You don't think the, so? The, no. I thought it got very pretty in the middle. Uh, pretty and bright are different. Fair. So there's nothing that's like sparkling that we saw with <laughs> Jollity. Uh, sure. Yeah, no, no, no. The, yeah, the tones are very different for yeah. sure. Um, I love the nine chords that are all the way through this thing because nine chords sound right but they are just close enough to being wrong that it makes you a little bit uncomfortable because you're waiting for the resolution to come in that chord. Um, and they, he doesn't give you one nine chords are all over jazz, uh, because they make you a little bit uncomfortable and they're fun to listen to. Um, but I, I really loved them in this piece. Um, we have, uh, the idea 
of uh, being a little bit uncomfortable with aging. And I think that's where the nine chord comes in. We're a little bit uncomfortable with getting older. We're a little bit uncomfortable with that uh, unstoppable march of time. And then we make it to the point where it gets a little bit brighter and that's that acceptance that it mm-hmm. is going to move forward. Um, we have a huge amount of dissonance at the five minute mark, which is going to go back to that idea of uncomfortability. Like, Oh shit. Uh, not only uh, like uh, I'm about to die, man. Like I, I mm-hmm. have no option with this. Um, and then it goes back to that alternating, uh, tone. Uh, it's just larger this time. So kind of that, uh, ticking clock idea. Um, because it is so dissonant, uh, we get that uncomfortability of dying, that unknown part, it's unsettling, uh, and then there's a slow fade out. The slow fade isn't unique in any of uh, these pieces. We see it in almost all of them up until this point, but it's a nice little narrative touch mm. uh, if that's what he's going for. But it's the way that I interpret it, so that's what he did. Yeah. Well, there's only so many ways you can end a song, right? It's, yeah. It's either cut it off or slow fade it out. Uh, I, I think that it a sharp cutoff would be really interesting. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, well, well, uh, see ya. <laughs> and dead. that's the song. <laughs> and I'm dead. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, no, let's, uh, you guys are done with that. Let's move on to Uranus. <laughs> Uranus. <laughs> you know, the, the let's, dive, was, let's really dive into Uranus here. Yeah. I was reading something online. <laughs> About each of these songs. And what's fucking children. What's funny is it was like if you're a middle school child, you'll call it Uranus. And I was waiting for who was gonna do it because yeah. I thought it would be me and it was fucking Uranus is so pompous. Just it's Uranus. Uranus. <laughs> it's your anus. No no matter what way you say it, you're saying anus, so yeah, it's yeah. funny. It, I wouldn't have laughed at Uranus, but the fact that you said, Let's jump into Uranus. <laughs> <laughs> That would be a cool first off the beaten cleft T-shirt. Would Let's just jump be into Kevin, Uranus. Me and Kevin <laughs> just <laughs> jumping into Uranus. It would have to be a pair of shorts, right? Yeah, we could be on each pocket. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> there'd have to be butt pockets. That's right. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> whose turn is it? I lost. It's mine. Jack. It's okay. mine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Holst is really loud. Holst plays his music, uh, writes his music incredibly loud. And that's, you know, it stands out again here. Um, again, and no one's falling asleep during these, right? I, I think that's one of the classic things, people that don't want to give classical a chance, like, oh, it's just studying music or it makes me want to fall asleep. I'm like, nah, man, you're listening to the wrong shit then. Because everything I listen to is is up in your face. Kind of like uh, Holst is through this entire uh I don't know. What is o, what does OP stand for? Um just original piece? No, um it's a it's a it's a specific type of uh classical piece. Um I don't know. It's some it's it, it's in every single classical thing. But it, you know, throughout whatever this entirety piece, the, the throughout the planets I'll say. Um you know, the, you know, the brass section makes sure of that, you know, normally a magician is something we associate with like joy and wonder. And we get a bit of that here, but it, nothing is ever as it seems with, with the Holst. Right. Um, so we get it, we get a bit of the mischief from Mercury showing back up here. So it's almost like a, a court magician that makes fun of the King to his face and he, the King doesn't realize it. There's a sort of, uh, I don't want to call it playful mischief here. It's almost, uh, it's almost conniving in a way. 
it kind of paints magic or a magician in a, in a very kind of uh, like a deceptive light here. And I think that, you know, the magicians are classic deceivers, right? And so this is kind of stripping away the veneer of a magician and kind of giving you what a magician really is. And is, you know, the classic deceiver, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is about this song, but it, it makes me very, very uneasy. And I'm sure <laughs> there's just, there's just this classic, like, I feel like somebody's going to like, tabletop me or something like that. There's just a mischief to this that I don't, that I'm not quite comfortable. It's like magic man from adventure time. That's what I thought of this entire time. Just a, just a jerk. And, uh, you know, which is, I don't know if this is a specific thing to host, if he just likes making people feel uncomfortable in all of his works or if it's specific to the planets, but it, you know, you've talked about it a couple different times, Alec, with the timing signatures, they're kind of designed to kind of keep you off kilter. And I don't know what this is in, but I don't know. This is this song, or this piece makes me very uncomfortable for some reason. And I don't know why. So, uh, I can tell you why. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's the time signatures in six, four. Yeah. Okay. So as opposed to just being a little bit off, it still fits in that multiple of two, mm-hmm. so it should work. You can just never find the top yeah, of the yeah. measure, though. It's, so yeah, it's so weird, man. Yeah, uh, that six four makes me really uncomfortable the entire time because I'm like, all right, and th- no, that's not the start of it. No, that's not the start. Of it. <laughs> yeah. I found it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the entire time, like you, you said that you had uh, Adventure Time in your head. I was thinking of uh, Mickey Mouse, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah, uh, the marching brooms at the beginning of that is—that's uh, the first thing that popped in my uh, head. Um, I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons, um, and uh, with this, uh, it, it brings around the idea of the huge amount of power that comes from sorcerers and magic users mm-hmm. whether you're playing D, whether you're going back and uh reading any sort of like lore of any nation magic users are hugely powerful and something to almost be feared uh you never want to cross them you never want to wrong them because wonky things are bound to happen um and that same kind of idea is uh pulled through here not only do you have that extreme power, but we also have that quirkiness uh, where it's kind of bouncy and uh, off kilter. Uh, and that, again, goes with that idea of magic where you don't really know what's going to happen. Um, I do really like uh, the false ending that uh, hits at 425 mm-hmm. because it, it has a nice little resolution. It's like, oh, nope, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it, it comes back. Uh, with 520 and there is just such an abrasive loud aggressive ending and it it again goes back to that idea of just like the unending power that comes with magic uh i i really like this piece so do you think in another life if he was like recording for an album the song would have ended at 425 and the other however much long of that song or sonnet would have been like an interlude yeah, well, probably. Because that's yeah. almost what it felt. It felt like the song should have ended at 425. That's an interesting mm-hmm. concept. Yeah, maybe. Um, just recording techniques are different now. Like, so we're definitely... not stopping the track where you keep going until you're done. <laughs> yeah. If you have a thought, finish it. We don't have time for this, Gustav. We got a <laughs> war going on. We're not stopping for another song, okay? Uh, yeah. But that that's kind of how I felt. Like, mm-hmm. oh, the song isn't over. It's, yeah. It's like slowly creeping and then it builds back up again it's like that that would have been like a cool little interlude in between songs Mm -hmm. um it's organized chaos i guess i kind of just have the same sentiments you guys have already said but uh yeah i I really like this song 
it was a good second to last track, which is always, I think a lot, the more albums we do, the more it feels like the second to last track is always the fun one because it's like building up to everything. It doesn't matter what the last song is, but like the second to last one just like gets you there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to remember at least the build up too. you Mm -hmm. know, so. Uh, I believe you're first with Neptune, Alec. You get to finish us off here. Oh, I'm honored. Finish uh, us off after Uranus. So, you know what? <laughs> um, Christ. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I really like this piece. I know I've said that about everyone, but I just love the planets in general. Um, it has an amazing lead in from the last piece. Uh, it's in five, four, uh, just like, uh, we started with, it's just enough outside the comfort zone to make a, make you notice. Uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Um, but I mean, the mystic is supposed to also make you a little bit uncomfortable, uh, seeing into the future, uh, knowing things that should be unknown that that's supposed to be uncomfortable. Uh, so we have a little bit of uh, forced dissonance, which is going to create tension along with that 5-4, uh, but it's not long enough to be completely unpleasant or take you outside of it. It's just long enough to be uh, noticed. Uh, the entire thing is an uh, pianissimo, uh, so there's quiet and then there's extra quiet. Yeah. Um, fun fact, the more uh, letter P's that you add <laughs> to uh, pianissimo, it just adds E's. So if you get... Uh, Two or if you get three P's, it's piano easy easy mo. You can add like twelve and you just add easies. Piano easy 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 mo. Isn't doesn't isn't just notated as just a bunch of P's across the top yep. of the page? So yep, just a bunch of P's. Lots of little tiny P's. Little pee P's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought classical would make us the most sexual we've ever met? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the fact that we're pianissimo uh, throughout the entire thing really draws you in. Um, mm-hmm. So you have that contradiction where you are pushed out because of uh, the 5-4 and a little bit of that tension that's created uh, with the notation itself, but you're drawn in because it's quiet, so you have that weird uh, contradiction there. Uh, It's always moving forward, and it's always moving somewhere. It's light and brittle the entire time. Brittle is the best way that I could find to describe it. It feels like you could fall apart or break at any time. Yeah. there, the reason that, or the way that that's generated, again, he cuts out the bottom brass, um, and it's just the upper woodwinds uh, that create that like light, tinkling, fragile sound. Um, this is really interesting because it's the only uh, point in any of the planets that we actually get vocals in it. So we mm-hmm. have a, a woman's choir come come in, and it is it's spooky. It's like, terrifying. Yeah, dude. like it is. It is downright spooky. Um, all that being said, I think it's a great way to go out. It, it, it makes you like, uh, it's like a movie where it's a twist in and you're like, what the, I just spent all that time in this. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel. You've been screaming at me for 40 minutes, Holst. What, what is this? <laughs> exactly. Uh, so uh, I, I really like uh, Neptune, the mystic. Um, but yeah. There's mystery afoot. Yes. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was walking through a haunted house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I freaking love this. I, maybe you're haunting the house. Maybe we've already died and we're haunting a house and we're like following people around. I like that. Did we um, die back with Saturn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything else has just been us traveling through a black hole oh, and now we're here. Like, yeah. Uh, we're haunting a house now. Yeah. Uranus is the, uh, the, the shock of death maybe. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, but I love creepy songs and this is, 
the creepiest one we got. So yeah. this is uh this was a lot of fun and it's like creepier than Scooby Doo, but it almost had like the playfulness of Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. That's really all I had. Okay, interesting parallel there. What? But no, I get what you're saying though. Like kind of the very the slow rolling fog, and you see in Scooby Doo and shit like that. Like when they're they're walking through a house and looking for clues, yeah, yeah, yeah. and someone's like creeping behind them, <laughs> and like that's just kind of the feeling you get. Yeah, it's like a more mature Scooby Doo kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, no. So yeah, I, I, you know, I wrote, we go from magic for entertainment to magic for stately matters, right? So mm-hmm. that's what you, you have your, your court mystic to kind of come up with some sort of useful divination for whatever deity or king they may be working for. Uh, and I can just very, so very vividly see like a hooded figure leaning over a bubbling cauldron and their little baubles scattered around the place in like this just dank dungeon you can kind of almost even smell this track like waft up into your nose because it is it's very you know i wrote it's very light and wispy almost i think fragile is a better term for it because it it feels like somebody who's reaching the upper register of their 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 voice and Mm -hmm. you're like when is that voice gonna crack and that's kind of what this feels like there's that tension there with like this is gonna crack at any second uh but for me yeah it's it's an interest to me it's interesting i i almost don't like this ending because it is so wildly different from the rest of this this piece, uh, I, I certainly understand you guys liking it because before that reason. But for me, it's like, man, I where's I need Jupiter? <laughs> Give me some more fanfare, man. Uh, but no, it, it's it's so haunting. And like you said, that chordal arrangement that comes in, it just adds an extra layer of just true spookiness to this. And I almost wonder what his intent was to end it like this yeah maybe it's you know the ghosts of war or the the the, you know the aftermath of war like bombed out buildings you know the the leftover uh mustard gas that Mm -hmm. cloud of mustard gas that's wispy but deadly and you know maybe that's what it is i don't know whatever it is it is uncomfortable but i I liked it a lot i liked listening to it but to me it was a weird way to end an overall piece especially with one that's so that's so overarchingly loud as this mm-hmm. it's very it's an interesting so i would love to you know talk to gustav and see what his his intention was for this being the the, the ending of this this to, the totality of this piece i would love his answer just to be well neptune's the last planet yeah, so yeah, potentially <laughs> well, tonally jackass yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking smart ass <laughs> Yes, I mean, that's what I get for making stupid I dick ran jokes out the of <laughs> you know, that's real. I ran out of planets. I, I love the idea of an Englishman talking like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. That's Not the end. So well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It, it, again, uh, let's let's uh, let's get into closing thoughts here sure. before we get too goofy here. Um, don't want you to lead us off with closing thoughts. Yeah, this was a pleasant surprise. It's a lot like uh, every time I go out of my comfort zone and I, I listen to new music on this podcast, it always gets me to l- enjoy something that I didn't think I was going to. And I think one of the few times this was like an enjoyable notes listen because oh, dude, I love to take my notes for this. We ha- we were struggling with new metal. Yeah. It was almost like, should we even be doing this podcast? Because I'm annoyed <laughs> by this shit. And so to have something like this that was like, I felt like I was watching a movie without actually watching. It was like you could feel 
fill the void with your mind. And that was a lot of fun. So I thoroughly enjoyed this and I'll definitely circle back to it, especially knowing my girlfriend's really into it. That's something we both can enjoy together. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, I you know, I'm absolutely tickled pink. I could sneak a classical uh, piece in, in here on you because I didn't think I was going to, and I, I absolutely adore listening to class. There'll be months on end where I'd listen to nothing but classical music. And this is, this is why, because you, there's so much of it to consume that you, there, there's a, there's a, classical artist, musician, composer, whatever you want to call it out there for everybody. Um, I, I really, you know, I've always loved Beethoven and I've always loved Mozart, but then I, like I said earlier, I, when I, first time I heard a, a Wagner or a Franz Liszt piece, like I, I fell in love. I was like, Oh shit. Classical can be like heavy and hard and like really kind of blow your face off. And I, I love, love that there's so much of it. And so starting with somebody like Holst, who is pretty much contemporary, like postmodern, I think is what it, the era is called. I could mm-hmm. be wrong about that. Um, but starting with somebody that, you, you know, is within the last 100 years. And we think about classical, like we think, Oh, that's from, you know, 16, 1700s, you know, you, you don't realize it. Yeah. Music was, didn't sound like music does now until about like the twenties or thirties is when we really started to see kind of like a modern music. Um, so I think starting in, at that place where it was starting to first flip into kind of like a more popular, um, syncopated music that we're used to now. Uh, so I like, that's where I like to kind of start is, you know, start with somebody like Gershwin or, uh, or Holst or somebody from the early 1900s and kind of work your way backwards because you can kind of see the evolution backwards. And I think that's a really interesting way to kind of discover classical music. So that's my spiel. Listen to classical music. Love it. Enjoy it. Find your guy. I would say lady, but find your guy. Uh, Spot the lie. (laughs) There there, there ain't a whole lot of classical composers that are ladies. Not a single one that I'm aware of, at least before 1950 or some shit like that. None come immediately to mind for me. So, So, uh, you know, find your guy. Find uh, the the guy that you like the sound of and kind of expand from there. Find other people that are sound like him or that he was inspired by or he inspired. So it's it's a it's a it's a crazy, intimidating world to dive into. But once you do, it's, it's hard to get out of. So. Alec, I'll toss it over to you. Uh, I loved this before I uh, listened to it uh, 30 times for this podcast, and I love it that much more after. It's so much deeper. It's one of those things that I I put on and I casually listen to, but if you take the time to actually, like anything, if you dig in deeper and actually find some of the roots and you find some of the nuance, it just becomes that much more beautiful. Um, and this song, uh, th- this piece is, uh, no different. This sonnet is no different. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. What a beautiful song. Alex on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, I'm going to continue to listen to the planets. Uh, I'm going to continue to love listening to the planets mm-hmm. and I'm going to force more people to listen to the planets <laughs> and be like, Hey, did you hear this thing? It's like a clock. Yeah. If we get 10 people to listen to a new, a classical thing and like it, I'll be happy. Yeah. I mean, that's all it's really about. Oh yeah. You want to get the song of the show? Are you going to do your closing now? Oh, you did your closing notes. Yeah. I'm an idiot. I'm first. Yeah, I'll, we'll get in the song of the show. Alec, let's go first. Song of the show. All right. Um, so I randomly stumbled upon this uh, falling down a YouTube black hole. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the song Plastic Love uh, by uh, Maria Takishi, I believe is the pronunciation. Uh, it's a 1980s Japanese pop song. And I'll tell you what. I listen to that shit on repeat. <laughs> it's 
awesome. So 1980s Japan pop. So it sounds like American pop from the 50s. Uh, no, uh, it, it it actually sounds, uh, like the eighties. It's like very, very synthy. Uh, it's, it's awesome. Sick. Yeah. Sorry. That was, that might've been racist, but it it did take Japan a very long time to kind of catch up to the rest of the world. There's Uh, a, I mean, (laughs) I'm not going to say that. Never mind. There's a, there's a gag on how I met your mother where, Canada didn't catch up to the 80s until the 90s. <laughs> they're like, why are you dressed like it's the 80s? And yeah. she's like, well, the 80s didn't hit until the 90s. Uh, Long Island, New York is still in the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah. And some places just, I mean, Dayton, Ohio, that's that's 1991 to a T. Yeah. So, yeah, some places just get stuck in time. So, Kev, what's your song of the show? Uh, so, speaking of Gershwin, I picked Rhapsody in Blue, which oh, is the just the greatest piece of Americana visual Sonic, it's everybody knows what this song, but a lot of people don't know who composed it or what it's called. Um, I think it was what uh, United Airlines or Continental Airlines used this as mm-hmm. their their um, commercial music forever. So you've definitely heard it. The way they chop it for the commercials too is, is oh. just so disheartening. Mm. No, you didn't like it. No, oh, I liked it. That's why. That's why I started listening. It's, it's so much better in its totality. Um, See that was I listened to it in its totality first, yeah, sure. and then I was like, "Oh, why are you chopping like <laughs> yeah, that?" Sure, uh, but it, it gets you the it gets you the greatest hits. It gets mm-hmm. you that uh, mm-hmm. the nice it gets song. you the big themes. It gives you the theme. Yeah. So you, there's two different ver- like there's the straight piano version, which is cool, but I like the orchestral arrangement, mm-hmm. and then, so I added the the Leonard Bernstein with the New York Philharmonic recording of this, and it's just, it's so good. It's so loud and so bombastic and so. It makes you want to be in like the swinging twenties in New York City. That's that's what this song is to a T. You want to go watch the Yankees, grab a hot dog, and you know, go to a go dance with a flapper. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's 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 the most great Gatsby song of all time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a great piece. If you never listened to it, it's very very long. Uh, so. It, it kind of breaks down into very slower parts, a little bit stranger parts, like a little like weird good piano parts in the middle. Um, but then it brings that theme back with a force, and it's so, so satisfying. Uh, like a modern equivalent to it would be like the uh, the keyboard solo in Magic Carpet Ride, where it's just kind <laughs> of a mess. And then all of a sudden, the main theme comes back like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's what I was That's what I waited five minutes for through that mess. <laughs> And it's just, it's so satisfying to hear that main theme come back. So again, everybody knows this, go listen to it. It you'll, you'll, you'll feel better about yourself. Uh, the Walt Disney, uh, corporation i believe uh did an animation that goes with it they did yes and it's if you don't want to just listen to the piece you can find it on youtube and watching that while listening to it was my first introduction because my music teacher in second grade was like hey we need something to do (laughs) and i have this on vhs i've got to kill 17 minutes somehow. (laughs) exactly that's exactly what he did uh so we listened to that and i was like oh Heck yeah. Yeah. So. My song of the show, Low Key in Love by The Struts, featuring Paris Jackson. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the Struts is, are like a pretty popular rock band, mm-hmm. but uh, it's got Michael Jackson's daughter in it, who is a bona fide smoke show. She is very attractive. And this song feels like you're at like a smoky bar and there's two people like singing that you know are like about to make out after the song. It's like, <laughs> God, I could feel the, 
the sexual tension in the song, and it's just like it's such a cool song, dude. It's like okay, it's spring now. There's cool songs coming yeah, out. Yeah, I haven't listened to it, but you just what you just described got me like Fleetwood Mac feels. Uh, I don't know if that's what it sounds like, but it, uh, like two people sharing a microphone yeah, and yeah. like they take turns on the verses. Like, it's really cool, yeah. and then they come in the second chorus together. So. That's cool. So, uh, yeah, I, we don't really have plans for the show next week. Yeah, there's a couple things that might happen. So we might extend Instrumental April into a fifth week for my younger brother, Benjamin. Um, he was adamant about doing a um, Apocalyptica album, their first album. Um, if you're not familiar, it's four celloists that do Metallica covers, and it's pretty fucking dope. Uh, so he was, he really wants to do that. If we can make it work, we'll do that. But if we can't make that work, we'll figure something else out. We, Dylan and I have had some preliminary discussions about it. And then we, ha- we, we might do something where we just pick like five songs. Yeah. We're going to, we might do like mood playlists. Yeah. So maybe a little bit shorter of a, uh, a month as far as episode length goes, uh, which I think is necessary. I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of podcasts take a little short hiatus in the beginning of uh, summer. So I think, you know, doing shorter episodes might be cool. Yeah. Uh, Alec, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, man. Thanks Thank for you. having me. It thanks. was a blast. Thanks for doing it short notice, too. I think I texted you, what, like five, six days ago? Yeah. So, yeah, totally cool. Glad to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. Uh, You're looking no. dashing as ever. Thank you. And, uh, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll yep. see you next week. Bye. Bye.